By the time you hear this podcast, when you say you're doing it for the culture, whose culture are you talking about? I'd like to know, are you ready for some super dynamite soul? Thank you, because now it's star time! Introducing, ladies and gentlemen, a man that's going to bring you some R&B classics. Among these R&B classics are tunes that will never die, such as Celebration, The Tears of a Clown, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, A Woman Needs Love, Soul Man Shotgun, Can't Help Myself, That's the Way of the World, Get Down Tonight, Hi! Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show, Pat Boone! Sister, Papa's in the swing. Ain't to him now about the newbie thing. Ain't no dad. Papa's got a brand new bag. Come here, Mama, and dig this crazy scene. Doing none of them dances, bro. Too old. <laughs> What's he like? He's got to be seven in the seventies by now, if not his eighties. He might be in his eighties now. Is, is he alive? Is he? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he sounds. I'll be honest. Um, he don't sound bad for um, his age. Um, God, he was born in nineteen thirty-four. He is eighty-two mm. from Jacksonville. Yeah. No, he. Yeah, that's yeah. Most people can't keep their voice in shape. He's I give him I give him props there. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we are back with episode thirty nine. Oh yeah. So um well let's get our intro out of the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean not to like bypass it, but um uh you can find our podcast in uh, several different ways, of course. Uh, for everyone who has been listening, we definitely do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go now, finally, to our website, and you can listen to any episode that we have recorded previously. Mm-hmm. And probably by the time you hear this one, this one will be on the website as well. Uh, see what you did there. Yeah, see what you did yeah. there. <laughs> uh-huh. <Okay. laughs> um, <laughs> so you go to by the time you hear this dot com, um, and. Uh, select your ep- listen to the episodes on demand mm-hmm. if you're on a laptop and that is the method you prefer mm-hmm. if you're listening to it on a mobile device you can you can uh, listen to it on Podomatic iTunes um, Satchel Podcast Player I am cheating um, <laughs> I was counting for you CastBox TuneIn Radio Google Play I think yeah that's it yeah <laughs> 
so yeah, you can listen to our shows uh, on any of those platforms. So no excuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at facebook.com slash by the time you hear this uh, spelled with the word you Y O U. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at by the time you hear this spelled with the letter U because what oh, I, was, I almost said we're yeah, we're upstanding. Yes. 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 Not exactly united, but we're upstanding. <laughs> I almost said uplifting. <laughs> we're uplifting. But in a way we are uplifting. Yes. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I would I would say so. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. upstanding most of all. Yes. Upstanding. Yes. <laughs> And that is also the same spelling for our email address by the time you hear this at gmail.com. Um, we did get a message about some episode suggestions, yeah. uh, which we will explore. Mm-hmm. Most certainly. Um, so, uh, well, let's get into it. Um, Kendrick Lamar is, uh, it's his moment right now. Yeah. He's, he's hot. He's the hot artist. Is it the Ed Sheeran of right now? yeah he's having an Ed Sheeran moment the Ed Sheeran of the of right now yeah I think that's about right um so Kendrick Lamar his album Damn is still number one on the Billboard 200 he is also number one um in the Artist 100 on Mm -hmm. Billboard and the thing with with Kendrick Lamar the album has gone platinum yeah which is awesome for him um He's 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 hitting on all cylinders right now, um, and it's on, honestly this is like what happens when you have like a really talented person take a commercial approach. It was almost like it was too easy for him. <laughs> it was too easy, you know. You, you get that Mike Will made it beat. It's catchy, the song's catchy, and boom, you got number one hit, and and you're platinum. And this is I feel like this is more of what we used to see back in the day, where your album could go platinum on one single. You know, it's yeah. almost like a throwback. <laughs> well, two singles. Two, yeah. But I mean, like that one main, like the one but, big. But yeah. everyone knows about Humble right now. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people have listened to DNA yet, mm-hmm. even though I still, I think it's in the billboard. Like, I think it's in the top 10. I know it was last week. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, it's yeah. still in the top 10. So um, right now, uh, it, it sold, it sold 603,000. In its first week, mm. so and only a couple of weeks later, it's certified platinum by the RIAA. Um, Interscope Records posted a tweet announcing that it is platinum. Um, he's, I think it comes with a, a negative connotation, but he's a pop star now. Yeah, I mean he's still able to be himself. And and make and make the music that he wants to, uh, and that is I think that's kind of rare. Yeah. Well, I mean he's he's built the equity, if you will. Yeah. He's built the ability to do it. He's he's kind of like I can do it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I built up a fan base with you know with putting out really good stuff early. Then you know built up the the um, the critical acclaim by putting out really good stuff early. Then, you know, I put out two albums that were very highly, like, you know, I don't want to say artsy, but just like, you know, not as mainstream. And then I just, just for kicks, I came back and gave you something else that really sold. So I've, I've built up the ability to do what I want to do because I've shown I can do it both ways. Cause it's not like to pimp a butterfly didn't do well. Yeah. So I've, I've proven that I can do whatever I want. Basically <laughs> I can slide in, slide out, you know? Yeah. It's rare. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I have nothing else to add. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it goes platinum. It's um, and and it's uh, a club banger because a lot of people yeah. are like, oh man, you know, Kendrick ain't got no club bangers. As a matter of fact, I remember listening to um, when Good Kid, Mad City came out. We were listening to the Bomani Jones Evening Jones podcast. And he was comparing it to this other rap that was out then. He was like, ah, it's a good record, but there's nothing in this record you can play in the club. Kendrick has a sort of pop club banger. I was in a club this weekend. It came on. <laughs> Everyone went crazy. It's a club banger. Well, like Good Kid, Mad City, um, where I think he later mentioned that it's meant to be listened um, with headphones on. Yeah, not really t- meant to, to play in the car. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have, you know, the, the great speakers, yeah. you know. It's not really meant, it wasn't really meant for that. Mm. Or I don't know if that was the intention for it to not be for that, but it's not meant for it. And it's an end in its entirety as well, I believe at least. Kind of like the album that we mentioned off air, OK Computer. Like it's kind of like in that vein. It's meant to be listened to as a whole. Yeah. Because it's a story. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So, therefore, pop superstar. (laughs) Okay. Let's see what else we got here. Um, Atlantis Morissette's business manager. Actually, before we get to that, um, we did not mention uh, Humble because uh, it's not number one anymore. <laughs> it has been overtaken by the Bruno Mars single. That's what I like. Which was number one, like what, a few weeks ago, wasn't it? No, it wasn't number one a few weeks ago. No, it was like it was. number two and three. Oh, OK, I thought like they were just going back and forth. Yeah. OK, OK. Uh, so that that song is now number one. Um, that Bruno Mars, man, yeah, yeah, appropriating New Jack Swing. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I don't know, man. It's I mean, like the song is the song is what it is, and at this point, I can't even be mad. Um, he's got the formula, man. Like yeah. I, I, I didn't think this record would do as well because it didn't start out as, as strong as his other stuff has, but like it, <laughs> all it did, it just kept picking up steam, picking up steam and boom. Next thing you know, like, yeah. I think like it started with like, okay, when the single 24 karat magic came out, um, I think it was, <laughs> this might've been kind of a two Americas moment mm-hmm. to where, okay black people hear 24 karat magic mm-hmm. and it sounds like um it sounds like all the early 80s r&b mm-hmm. with that the talk box in there some roger the and zap <laughs> it sounded like zap, zap yeah. it sounded like that song by uh that song cutie pie mm-hmm. by one way um it kind of sounds like uh, all I heard was computer love. That's all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little bit like Kumo D because oh, he's rapping. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then with white people, maybe it was like, oh, this is a brand new sound. <laughs> I hope not. But <laughs> and it's and honestly, the more I think about it, too. Maybe this is one of those things where it's like you can't it's not fair to compare it to Uptown Funk. Because, like, no. he's forever going to be compared to Uptown Funk, and that song was a beast. And it's just like... <sighs> and it was funny. There are probably people who think Uptown Funk is his first song. Probably. <laughs> probably. Um, and it's crazy. Just It's just like, so it's like, yeah, in, like, in, in relation to, in comparison to Uptown Funk, 
24 karat magic wasn't as big. Well, everything in comparison to Uptown Funk wasn't yeah. as big. Because Uptown Funk was everywhere. It's still everywhere. <laughs> like I, I've mentioned on here before, during a sporting event such as the NBA All-Star Game, when mm-hmm. your song is played at every commercial break, yeah. going into the break and coming out of the break, mm-hmm. um, that means it's... that That's just a symbol of how much of a monster that song yeah, was. Yeah. It was pretty big. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to Bruno Mars. Um, moving on to our next story, Alanis Morissette. We, we had mentioned this story a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly which one, but, um, her ex business manager, uh, Jonathan Schwartz, uh, pled guilty to charges of wire fraud and filing a false tax return. And he has been sentenced to six years uh, in prison. He had requested a sentence of one year and one day. What? Get out of here. Come on, man. Uh, Followed by another year of house arrest. I mean, I know it's a white collar (laughs) crime, but come on, bro. (laughs) Um, So uh, this guess the story was, uh, this was Alas Morissette's business manager. And she had testified last week and told the court her ability to trust has been shaken to the core because of Schwartz's actions who admitted to stealing nearly $5 million of her money over the course of seven years. Yeah. And, um, he wrote in an open letter last month to the Hollywood reporter. He promised to make amends to his community and his clients and explained that his behavior was driven by a gambling addiction. I think the gambling addiction is still it's still underrated as far as addictions go. Yeah. Like, um, okay, of course there's drug addiction, there's mm-hmm. alcoholism. Uh, some some people may say like for a while sex addiction was the that that was the hot addiction in the streets. Yeah. Even though um, I think a lot of therapists and psychologists uh, say that's not a real thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I mean, addiction is addiction. I mean, it's, it's, if, if you're addicted to something and it affects your ability to live a normal life, then who are, who am I to tell you that it's not legitimate? But I, I do have to wonder, like, is that just him trying to, I mean, the dude did ask for a year and a day sentence. So is that him trying to soften the blow? Perhaps. Yeah, a year and a day, and then a, a year of house arrest mm-hmm. and community service. Um, so, not doubting that gambling addiction can be a legitimate thing, but in this case, yeah. was that just like his lawyer was like, hey, just say you got the gambling addiction, man, and that's why you stole money from her for, you know, like, you know. Uh, who is this Hawkman guy? Okay, his attorney. Nathan Hockman asked the court to keep his addiction in mind, as well as the fact that Schwartz has received treatment and is now nearly a year sober. So mm-hmm. a year ago, I don't know when this trial started, mm-hmm. but maybe he stopped when he got caught. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was rock bottom for him, I guess. And like, what could he gamble on if he in court? <laughs> so what do you think the verdict will be? <laughs> <laughs> Take a prop bet. <laughs> Five to one odds. <laughs> scratching his fingers, scratching his, his palms, like ooh. Well, if it's an addiction, then the 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 prop bets get even crazier. Like, okay, I have all the was it twelve jurors? I have the twelve jurors. I bet you six of them are wearing red. <laughs> Make a prop bet on which over juror? under six of them wearing red. 
which which juror gets dismissed first for something? <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, basically, saying that um, his the sentence, the suggested sentence, the proposed sentence will manifestly deter anyone thinking of committing Mr. Schwartz's crimes. That the ramifications of doing so are extremely dire. Yeah. A lengthy prison sentence is not necessary to achieve this additional deterrence. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office disagreed. In fact, it's in its reply, it went as far as to say Schwartz didn't prove he spent any of the money on gambling. Mm. Which is my that's my question. Like, is that even a thing? You know, like, well, not is it a thing? Like, is that really his thing? If they can't prove that he even spent money on gambling, um, and I do think there should be stiff penalties for this because, I mean, you are trusting these people, oftentimes to manage very large amounts of money. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing worse than, and I, well, I mean, there are things worse, but a really bad thing is to be this artist who thinks you're making all of this money. You're very successful. You know, you have one of the biggest albums of a decade, um, and still follow it up with, you know, with pretty good stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm broke. Like what you mean? I'm broke. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, you can look at, oh, well, we talked about the new edition story. Yeah. You can look at with TLC. Mm -hmm. Uh, they sold four, five, six million yeah. copies of Crazy, Crazy Sexy, Sexy Cool, cool and they were bankrupt after yeah. that? So you gotta, like, I think stuff like that does need to be handled quickly, swiftly, and harsh. And I won't say harshly, but harshly. Because, I mean, that's they're stealing, and they're stealing from people who oftentimes, I mean, if you really think about it, the girls in TLC probably didn't know how to manage money. And that's what you're hiring someone to do. Uh, but you can also consider, like, um, I think for them, you might also consider their contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's and that was probably I think that'd be a really good episode looking yeah. at like, you know, how because I mean, the same thing happened to the Google Dolls. Yeah. <laughs> same thing happened at one point to Billy Joel. And that's why he had to spend his time playing in a bar for years while he tried to get out of a bad contract. Like <laughs> you think about it, like that sounds absurd. <laughs> so I think that'd be a very interesting topic to discuss one day. Um, well, he said the U.S. attorney office, they disagreed okay. about the proposed sentence. And uh, they said, even if the, the defendant gambled, he could have stopped gambling if he had chosen to do so. And said the defendant was sophisticated and highly intelligent. Mm. So, you know, I said like sex addiction isn't really a thing, according mm. to many psychologists. Uh, these attorneys, they don't believe in a gambling addiction. Yeah. Like you could have stopped. Or could he? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like, you know, oh, man, the reason I burned that to, down this apartment in my sleep is because I'm addicted to cigarettes. Like, that wouldn't get you off. You're like, I was addicted to cigarettes. I fell asleep with one in my mouth and it burned down the apartment. You, you're probably still going to prison for arson, you know. I think it's the same thing here. Um, so, yeah, they basically people were saying that, you know, uh, it's important for our industry to know you can't take money out of people's accounts. Mm -hmm. This is from uh, Schwartz's former partner at GSO. Uh, Bernie, Bernard Goodvie. Okay. And uh, he said uh, he compared the situation to robbing a bank and noted in that scenario, a gambling addiction wouldn't be an appropriate defense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also during her testimony, Lennis Morissette told the court that, excuse me, uh, trusting Schwartz to handle her finances allowed her to focus on being an artist. Mm hmm. You know, that's, and that's a big part of it. Um, it allows you to be an artist if you're. If you happen to be someone who came from like a, like a disadvantaged background to where you've never had this amount of money 
and you just don't know. You don't know about investing. You don't know about any of these things. You're trusting this person like to not screw me over. In in both cases, really, and like it's, I imagine, like yeah, I'd be shaken to the core as well. Like, oh man, like, who do I trust? These people are smarter than me. <laughs> they know how to handle money better than me. They could hide it if they wanted to. Like, yeah, that's it'd be very hard to trust somebody. Uh, she later said that he started keeping her in the dark when she pressed him for details, mm. and he'd tell her that she was being disrespect disrespectful. I'm gonna keep that in mind in case I ever get coming <laughs> to some money. If they tell me Ben. You're being disrespectful. Uh, it's my money. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. No, come. No, I've heard that line before. Atlantis more said. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that line <laughs> for my money yet. <laughs> uh, she also felt that he had an alibi set up from the start. Jeez. So he, so she thinks he was he was plotting from the beginning. He was playing her, which is, uh, which definitely seems. I mean, you know, just mm-hmm. probably not wrong, and that's what artists may have to look out for when they hire a business manager. Even if you hire someone with experience or just hire someone, you know, hire a cousin who's good at math or whatever, <laughs> you know, they may be plotting for the beginning. How are they going to get your money? <laughs> get your money. Um, and she did ask the court to issue a sentence that sends a crystal clear message. Good for you. Uh, the U S attorney's office did recommend 63 months uh, which is six, three years. oh no, oh, God. <laughs> um, which is uh, five years and three months. Uh, the maximum was seventy eight months, so that's uh, six and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get seventy two months, so they kind of split the difference. Uh, he also has to pay eight point six million in restitution. Good lord. Now I wonder because I'm all, I've also read that there is another unnamed entertainer that he embezzled money from, like mm-hmm. upwards of a million dollars, um, and then nearly eight hundred thousand from another client. So I want to know, I wonder if they'll step forward and try to maybe, you know, get something from him. I don't know how much money this guy has. I mean, like I, they can order him to pay eight point six million dollars, but if you ain't got it, I guess they just start auctioning off your things. Yeah, um, he will also be subject to three years of supervised release, which will involve outpatient addiction treatment, regular drug testing and mental health counseling. So at least they're quote unquote trying. Yeah. Yeah. And even the judge said, uh, the guidelines are draconian. Who said this? The, the judge, judge Dolly G. Oh God. Dolly G. <laughs> Sounds like a rapper. Yeah. Does. <laughs> uh, and but she said the situation was one of those rare occasions where I think the guidelines are not harsh enough. So she would have given him more time yeah, if she, she could. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's a tough situation for everyone involved, and um, hopefully it works out for for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope he gets the help he needs. Um, but uh, as far as him like walking into any situation of handling anyone's money, yeah, um, yeah, I, I I doubt he'll be in that uh, lane ever again. Yeah. Um, moving on here. So uh, I saw this story. I didn't know this movie was being remade. Well, I knew it was being remade, but I didn't know like people had been officially cast in it. Um. 
so Dave Chappelle will be part of the cast. He won't be one of the two main characters, but he'll be joining the cast of Warner Brothers remake of A Star Is Born. Uh, people are familiar with um, this film. It has been made three times previously. <laughs> Which is uh, a lot of times. <laughs> uh, 1937 with Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. Um, 1954 with Judy Garland and James Mason. And then 1976 with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. So people familiar with the story of Star is Born is about... Um, well, it was about an actress being helped by an older actor achieve success and fame. Um, I'm trying to find the, uh, mm, okay. So, and he's also directing as well. It looks like Radley Cooper is directing. Um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, well with the, with the 1954 version, um, it was about a singer getting help from a former matinee idol achieve fame or however um in the 1976 uh with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson is about a woman who enters show business and falls in love with an established male star uh and in each version of course it's as she becomes more famous his career goes into decline and and they fall in love or whatever um the 1976 version is known for the Academy Award winning song, Evergreen, parenthesis, love theme from Stars Board. <laughs> um, they had to put that movie yeah. title there so people would buy it. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, this was written by Barbara Streisand along with Paul Williams. Uh, I think it also won the Golden Globe. Yes. So with... Uh, this current this remake that's coming up um announced two years ago that bradley cooper would be starring and directing it as you said and also being a co-producer and then lady gaga would be starring opposite um bradley cooper and composing new music for the remake yeah i saw that that's pretty cool this is expected to be released in september 2018 um i did hear about this it might've been last year or, or probably when our Bradley Cooper may be involved in the project and the female lead would be, would have been played by Beyonce. That could have been interesting. Hmm. Um, or did I hear that as far as that would be a remake of the bodyguard with Bradley Cooper and, and Beyonce. Beyonce? I would watch that. I would watch that. That's probably not going to happen now. I mean, it could still be Beyonce, but it wouldn't be Bradley Cooper. It'd be somebody else. Yeah. Maybe, uh, What's the dude's name um, who plays uh, Hawkeye? Uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I could see him doing it. Yeah. Or, we could be casting directors. Yeah. Uh, or telling you. <laughs> if you want to make it like a, a kind of a, a com a comedy type movie, The Rock. I could The Rock see and that. Beyonce. The Rock and Beyonce <laughs> and The Bodyguard. Although Sam Jackson is making um, um, Sam Jackson and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, the Hitman's Bodyguard? Yeah, that looks pretty funny. They parodied the cover <laughs> of The Bodyguard. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds is carrying Sam Jackson. It's quite funny if you haven't seen it. <laughs> Go check it out. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the cast also includes, well, as I mentioned, Dave Chappelle. It's also going to include Andrew Dice Clay, um, Sam Elliott, 
Um, yeah, and I read that Chappelle will be playing his, like his friend or something that. Yeah, who was a blues singer. Blues. Yeah, so that'd be interesting, right there. Um, okay, no one. Well, no, no one else in the cast has been announced as of yet. But so, at about a year and a half from now, we'll be hearing about that movie, and um, we'll see how that goes. September. That's Oscar time. They're going for an Oscar here, for your consideration. Okay. Um. All right, so uh, we got some some tours coming up. Um, as previously, well, we haven't previously mentioned it yet, but just want to let you know that Erica Badu um, is coming um, is going on tour. You'll see her at the uh, the Funk Fest. That's in Atlanta, right? Yeah, that's in Atlanta. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I know there was like three different uh, festivals that she'll be appearing at. Uh, Lincoln Park. Is planning a big North American tour. Also, Janet Jackson, newly divorced, and back on the road. Um, <laughs> and also, Michael McDonald, who will have an album oh. of new songs for the first time in nine years, will is also planning a tour. I would probably go see that. I like <laughs> Michael McDonald. I really like him. Um, and also, the uh, the big announcement of a tour is Harry Styles. The, the Harry, Harry Styles, Styles. Yeah. yeah, fresh off appearing on SNL, mm-hmm. um, and uh, his album, uh, self-titled album, is coming out on May twelfth. He has two singles, "Sign of the Times" and "Ever Since New York," which he played on uh, SNL, and he will also have a week-long residency on the Late Late Show with James Corden. Okay, that'll be interesting. And I don't, uh, I don't know if. I- I don't know. That seems weird. Why would you? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll let it happen and then I'll make a decision. <laughs> that just seems weird to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, well, he's, he's going on. A, it, this will be a world tour. Something okay. titled Harry Styles live on tour. Uh, this, this tour sold out in seconds, according yeah. to Ticketmaster. <laughs> and that's with their new verification to make sure that bots aren't buying them right. to be scalped at higher prices. So these are people who are buying these tickets. Um, is- he will start on September 19th in San Francisco. He'll go through the, through North America. And then October 25th, he goes over to Europe. Will he be playing in France in Paris specifically London, uh, Glasgow, Stockholm, Berlin, Amsterdam, Milan, Italy. He'll be in Singapore, Australia, and Japan, and New Zealand. So um, he will be playing it here in Atlanta for everyone who mm-hmm. wants to go. He's going to be at the Coca-Cola Roxy, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's his first solo album, so it, I think Phillips would have been like, Shooting for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I would have thought maybe the Gwinnett. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, the Infinite Energy Arena. Yeah. Formerly known as no. the Arena at Gwinnett. And I get it. Yeah. No, you're right. It's his first It's his first solo tour. Really, first solo album, period. Yeah. Um, and probably they just like, you know, hey, let's 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 be modest. <laughs> or as Kendrick would say, let's sit down and be humble, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I get it. I mean, but yeah, I mean, and kind of what Greg's getting at is these are smaller venues that he's getting at. What'd you say yeah. the Roxy was? The Coca-Cola Roxy? Coca-Cola Roxy. Like uh, 3,000. 3, yeah, 3,000 people. So, um, For those who are not familiar with, you know, who live in Atlanta, like, what's that? 
it's uh, next to SunTrust Park, the new Brave Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, so just it just op- it just there. recently opened, but they're having some big acts coming through. Mm-hmm. As of this recording, Lil Wayne will be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Get your tickets. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it'll be it's it's gonna be a, it's it's a cool tour, you know. I think honestly, I wish more big artists would play small venues. Um, I like the fact that when, even though I haven't seen them yet, but I like the fact that when um, the uh, the Foo Fighters would come to Atlanta, they wouldn't play arenas, even though I'm sure they could play an arena. But they play like, um, um, not the Cotton Club. What what was the Cotton Club? It used to be. What is it now? In Athens? No, the um, it's downtown. It's right across from Centennial Olympic Park. Um, it used to be the Cotton Club. I can't remember the name of it now. But they play like you know smaller, like three four thousand or people venues. I think it just makes for a better show, I think, at least. Okay. Rather than playing an arena. Um, oh, Tabernacle. Yes, that is, that's the, the Tabernacle. Okay. Yeah, they, they'll play there <laughs> like when they come to town. across from the... Yeah. the okay. Because yeah. it used to be the Cotton Club, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they will... Uh, I mean, if you, you don't... No point in trying to get tickets now. Yeah. It's sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Some teenage girls will fight you. <laughs> um, so uh, on our last episode, we talked about the Fire Festival. Had a good laugh. Me and Kendra listened to that. Had a good laugh. <laughs> Comedy of errors yeah. uh, might be an understatement. Um, now I didn't. Well, actually, let's kind of get into this uh, before before we start to talk about the the lawsuits. Of course, there are lawsuits. <laughs> Duh. Um, industry veterans weigh in on what happened, on what their opinion was of it. Okay. Um, industry veterans, like what, like festival promoters? Yeah. Or? Okay. Okay. Uh, Billy McFarlane, it was the co-creator. Billy McFarlane, the other yeah. gentleman. Um, he admittedly says we were a little naive. All right. Continue with the understatements. All right. <laughs> Uh, he said that we tried building a city out of nothing. You know, I'm going to put my drink down because I might spit something out <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> uh, but those who put on Bonnaroo, Coachella, and other music festivals do such a thing every year. One concert business source called the festival completely ass backwards. <laughs> Another said it was a complete disaster and a lot of people fail for it. Uh, their approach was, we thought up the idea, we put tickets on sale, then we decided on marketing and talent and tried to see if the venue would work, said one source who wished to remain anonymous. The traditional way of promoting a festival is, find a great site, make sure it works, then select some talent and put together marketing and put tickets on sale. They took the traditional method and did it the opposite way. Yeah. They had the idea and then tickets. Like, you have the idea... Find a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it sounds like maybe they then just get didn't... some talent and then start marketing. What makes it sound like even more of a scam is the fact that they did it so backwards that they got, we're going to get the money first and then let's try to make this thing work. It's like you didn't have any startup money. So this is yeah. where to get startup money. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. Well, we'll just keep the money. <laughs> um, uh, we mentioned it was supposed to feature Blink-182, uh, Major Laser, Migos was apparently supposed to be there. Uh, fans who paid up to $250,000 a piece for high-end villa packages and gourmet meals. If you go to our website, you'll see the picture of the gourmet meal they received. Um, 
a festival goer said last week, he and three friends arrived via charter plane wow. to find tents, cheese sandwiches, and styrofoam containers and conditions. This is a little extreme, like a Syrian refugee camp. Oh, God. Said the people who showed up in the in the chartered plane. Uh, because of a storm on the Eczema Islands site, canceled and delayed flights. Many guests were trapped, some without lodging. Uh, clash action lawsuits, including one for $100 million, led by celebrity lawyer Mark Garagos, are starting to roll in. Jeez, that's a lot of money. Um... Holman, is this okay? So Bert Holman, he's the manager for the Allman Brothers, which has organized the Wani Festival in Live Oak, Florida, for many years. He said any professional would know thirty to sixty days out that this thing wasn't happening to the level that they were advertising it. Mm. I look at the audience like, what are you people thinking? How could you buy tickets for something that doesn't have a track record? Oh man, are you guys crazy? I think they all got what they deserved. And that's been the census kind of permeated through this entire thing that the people who bought this were dumb. Like you just, you, and I mean, like granted, I don't agree with this statement of you don't buy something from someone without a track record because every festival had to start somewhere, but lack of pictures, lack of, of, of transparency is what would have kind of made me a little uneasy. I think that it said concert business sources were incredulous that McFarlane and Ja Rule apparently neglected to hire any of the companies with experience putting on these kind of events. So they didn't hire Live Nation mm -hmm. or AEG uh, to remote festival specialists like CID Entertainment. So they didn't even hire a company with the experience. Yeah, which is really what they should have done. Because, I mean, like, of course, we don't know who, you know, who prominent promoters are, but they should. That's on, And that's on them. And I guess that's where these lawsuits are coming from. Like, they just, yeah, this, it gets funnier. Um, and funnier. Holman also said he's shocked and amused to follow the Fire Festival report since last week. A hired talent producer who visited the Exma site in March deemed it a mess before returning home to New York and quitting. I don't think mm. this is the same. Let's see. Is this the same one that we know. were? Yeah, this is the same one that we talked about last oh, week. Oh, the guy, he quit? Okay. Yeah. Um, Uh, uh, Dave Frey, who's the manager for Cheap Trick and co-owns the annual Lockin' Festival in Virginia, received Is That You Facebook messages because <laughs> they thought that uh, because of the way his name is spelled, they okay. thought it was him doing that. Um, he was not involved, but he said he couldn't believe organizers neglected to properly prepare for such an out-of-the-way gathering. Yeah. Anytime you have a mass gathering in a remote place, where you don't have infrastructure and you don't have resources, it's hard to supply. Even doing a show in Hawaii is challenging. If you don't plan it properly, you can pretty much plan on not having the things you need. Oh yeah, we needed golf carts. I forgot, you know, something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, McFarlane also said that he and his other other promoters were a little ambitious and didn't realize their lack of foresight until the storm hit days before the festival and knocked out its water and sewage facilities. This is, man, okay. So now to know that, because I guess these are things I didn't think of, and that's why we don't plan festivals, but yeah, I mean, I guess it does make sense that you want to go with someone 
that knows what they're doing. Uh, someone, they someone said, I'm sort of hoping this is a wake up moment for a lot of people. Oh, it sounds fun to launch in a music festival. Hopefully people can see it's a hard thing to do and maybe they should just leave it to professionals. That's a good point as well. So I'm exp- if they're going to try this again, because I think they're going to try to make up for it. I really think they're going to try to like make this happen next year. Get Live Nation or, or, make it or any of these guys <laughs> to um, any of these companies who know how to do this mm-hmm. to help you organize it. Because uh, it says a uh, source question is the entire concept, which made thousands of offers representing tens of millions of dollars for celebrity appearances, according to a pitch deck sent out to potential investors. According to Fire's promotional material, organizers hope to raise $25 million on 500 exclusive managers with hopes to expand Fire globally. The source received a copy of the deck earlier this year and chose not to invest. They definitely were hitting people up for cash way before they had it all secured. Yeah, they, they, they had their heads up there, you know what? <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. So, as we said, lawsuits. Of course, there are lawsuits. There are now a total of five class action lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Um, three more this past week mm-hmm. against the uh, uh, two. Well, there were three last week. There are now two more mm-hmm. filed on behalf of the New Jersey Festival Goer and an event management company. According to Pitchfork, the Pennsylvania based national event services who were hired by fire organizers to provide medical services filed their lawsuit uh, claiming they suffered damages of $250,000 from the debacle. Mm -hmm. The lawsuit alleges breach of contract, fraud, and negligence. Um, NESO is also seeking punitive damages, and their employees, the NES employees, discovered. That the accommodations were uninhabitable, including bug infestation, bloodstained mattresses, and no air conditioning, and that organizers had failed to secure a medical evacuation helicopter or plane in case of emergency. Uh, the island's medical center was also closed upon arrival two days before. There's things you don't think about, and that's why you hire the professionals. Like, I'm reading through this. I'm like, I would never think about that. Like, you do need a helicopter. Uh, and as a result, NES had nowhere to send any patient who may have required emergency care overnight. Mm. Um, the lawsuit also accuses McFarlane and Ja Rule of falsely misrepresenting critical facts about the festival, including the capitalization necessary to conduct a large musical festival a large music festival in the Bahamas. Many of the artists and vendors remained unpaid in the weeks leading up to the fire festival with blink 182 ultimately canceling their headline appearance due to non-payment. So that was why yeah. <laughs> uh, they also embarked on a campaign of incompetence, fraud and deceit in the provision of information, not only to the plaintiff, but also to virtually any third party vendor associated with the festival, as well as the people who had purchased tickets. Um, a ticket buyer, Andrew Petrozello, filed a lawsuit and he is citing consumer fraud, the state consumer fraud act and breach of contract. And even though he never reached the festival site, he was among the ticket buyers to arrive in Miami only to learn his flight to the Bahamas was canceled. He paid $1,100 for tickets and was forced to pay for his own flight home out of pocket. That's so much money. <laughs> Yikes. So, uh, kids, don't just start 
Yeah, it's yeah. A, ha, yeah, it's good to have an idea for a music festival. Mm, but can you pull it off? Yeah. And make sure you make sure you have make sure you have money up front. And not from <laughs> the people going to the festival. <laughs> but capital. Um I really would have thought I really would have thought Ja Rule was smarter than this. And I really think this Billy McFarlane guy was smarter than this and this is just his way to get money. Only I don't think he's ever had to have he's never had to screw up this public. Like he this is major. Laser. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for our music news segment, uh, brought to you by nobody, um, by men and <laughs> just kidding. Don't sue us. <laughs> so Ben, what's your earworm of the week? Um, we're going to go with a Treyu, which yes, it is named after the character from the never ending story. Mm. Um, X's and O's, not the one by L King. I really think this song, if it came out in like the eighties, would have been huge. Like it just sounds like a um like one of those like, yeah, let's rock type songs and um but unfortunately it only came out in like the two thousands when rock is almost dead, basically. So the DJ rules the land now. Yeah. Alright, so this is X's and O's by Atreyu from their album A Death Grip on Yesterday. And uh we will be right back. That is a trio, X's and O's from their album "A Death Grip on Yesterday." It came out in two thousand six. Yeah, it's pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> and that is on our BTT YHT Earworms playlist. We can find all the songs that pleasantly annoy us, mm-hmm. except "Hot Rod Hearts." Yeah, get the negotiations going, Spotify. <laughs> um. 
so we have an indie Instagrammer of the week. This is uh, Lindsay Lucas. Uh, she is a vocalist and songwriter. It seems like she is a little bit blues, jazz, reggae, R&B, neo-soul, and other sub-genres. How do you spell it? L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Um, trying to see where she's from here. Uh, well, she did receive a bachelor's degree in philosophy and religious studies from Suffolk University. She's also studied at Berkeley College of Music. Okay. I, I feel like you don't hear that very much anymore. Yeah. Um, she has performed with John Schofield. Uh, okay. Fred Wesley and the JBs. Bill Summers of Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters, Ernie Isley, Talib Kweli, um, and various members of the Tedeschi Trucks Band. <laughs> oh, so she's going to be bluesy. Okay. Yeah, Susan Tedeschi, Derek Trucks are both. Derek Trucks used to play with the Allman Brothers band um susan tedeschi is just is very very bluesy john schofield i can't i think he's a saxophone player he's really good too so she's gonna be yeah okay i i have a good idea of what to expect here she's also the sunday she holds the sunday residency at boston's famous wally's cafe jazz club and she is the front woman for her band zakota i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right there are a lot of umlauts in that word (laughs) And you can follow, um, you can follow her on Instagram at Lindstagram. That was creative. <laughs> <laughs> and um, see if we can play one of her songs here. As you know, the rules with um, being the indie Instagrammer of the week. If you like one of our posts, and you are an independent musician, uh, we will play one of your songs and discuss it. So, um, Ben, this is, uh, from her, the Ruby Valdez live in the studio EP. Mm -hmm. There are three songs here we can choose from deja vu, unrequited love and between the lines. Let me go between the lines. All right. So this is between the lines by Lindsay Lucas and, uh, okay. That's. I'm predicting she's going to sound like um, um, Josh Stone. That's what I'm predicting. Well, let's find out. Maybe if you were true, I would answer your phone call. Are you Should've known I'd win before. 
So, you know, with getting everything you said about her, I had a good idea of what she's going to sound like. And then I saw a picture of her meeting Bernard Purdy, mm. famous for the Purdy Shuffle. Um, Bernard Purdy played on some Steely Dan records. Yeah. Um, so she's got she's got good taste. So it's like you can't have <laughs> like you can't like if you know who Bernard Purdy is, you probably have good taste in music if you're making this type of music. If you're singing with the Derek Chucks band, if you know Season to Dash, this girl can sing. I followed you. I followed you <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Yeah. So shout out to Lindsay Lucas. Um, it's um, it's it's something you just don't you don't hear a lot of anymore. Like no, the, you the don't. Kind of you don't hear a lot of anymore. Live band type R and B. No, yeah. you don't. Which is why. Well, did you say this was called the Live in the Studio EP? Live in the Studio EP. We need more of this stuff. We we really do. This is this is the type of R&B I love. Not like I love the type of R&B. Um, like this, the sound of a drum, like an actual real drum, not a drum machine. Horns, guitar, like a real. I just love it, man. Live instruments are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So you can check out um, uh, her website, lindsaylucasmusic.com, and the music that we that we were playing. This is from her SoundCloud. Um, she's not on Spotify. Well, not not this. Uh, she has she is on an album with uh, Solajar. Okay. She does a, a guest spot on air, and. Becoming Three by International Show. I'm not sure who that is, but she's a guest vocalist on that project. Okay. Um, I guess I will yeah. have to not delete my SoundCloud app yet. I was going to delete it, but I downloaded it to listen to the um, the Nicki Minaj disc, um, and that was it. And I was considering because they keep sending me updates and like notifications. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. I don't. I just listen to that one song. So, yeah, but I'll keep it for this. <laughs> this was good. Shout out! Thank you for liking our, our post. Yes, that's that was awesome. They say you can follow her at Instagram, and um, if you like one of our posts on our Instagram, you can be featured on the uh, on our segment, the Indie Instagrammer of the Week. Indie Instagrammer of the Week. <laughs> Should we get a bumper for that? That would be, be hilarious. I, I love bumpers. Um, all right, so let's get into our topic. Um, uh, you know, this could be controversial. This could be our most controversial episode. Think about it. Possibly. Yeah. Or there just might be a lot of people agreeing with us, and we'll never really yeah, know because y'all don't even <laughs> <on> us. <laughs> um. We started the show with uh, 
some Pat Boone. Um, I have told the story of the, this, the main scene I remember from the little Richard miniseries of, um, little Richard finding out that Pat Boone sang, uh, Tootie Fruity mm-hmm. and, um, and, and like, I think he'd sold more copies of the single. And then, um, like if he's going to keep doing that, it's like, well, I'll make a song that he can't, he can't do. <laughs> and then he sang long, tall Sally. And uh, it was too fast for Pat Boone. <laughs> yeah, Pat Boone's got that. Pat Boone's a crooner. Like, that's that's what Pat Boone is. Um, and to hear him do those songs, it's just like, I, I, I couldn't imagine Tony Bennett singing Tutti Frutti. Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like. <laughs> you know. And Tony Bennett's not a bad vocalist, but Tony Bennett stays in his lane. You know? <laughs> he has a lane. He knows what he he's, has a lane. And he stays in it. Yes. So that was kind of funny to hear because I'd never heard his version of it. So I'd heard of Pat Boone. I'd heard some Pat Boone, but I'd never heard that version. It's like, oh, so he doesn't change his style when he does that type of stuff. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah. Um, so this episode, we're talking about, um, I guess, different forms of cultural appropriation in pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ben, uh, this is a topic that you brought up as far as doing. So yeah. what kind of like drew you to to talking about this? Well, it actually started with a, about it started. I can't remember how long ago this was, but a conversation a friend of mine and I had, Chris, where we were talking about um, Keith Urban, right? Keith Urban, of all people. Um, some people might not know unless you watch American Idol. Keith Urban's Australian, but he's a country singer um, and a really good one. I might add, <laughs> um, very popular one. And um, but it, when you when you hear him talk, you know he has the whole you know he has a very thick Australian accent. Um, but then when he sings, he sings with a very thick country accent. And um, he was talking about how it's like, ah oh, man, why is he singing country music? He's not he's not country. He's not from the south. He's not from the country. He's from Australia. No, that sounds weird. And like it kind of made me wonder. It's like, all right, well, maybe that's what he grew up on. Maybe who knows? Like maybe country music for some reason was big in Australia at one point. <laughs> I don't know, but it's like, you know, and, and it also made me think of, I was telling Greg about Katie Tunstall, who is for all intents and purposes, a, a British soul singer songwriter kind of, you know, um, I, I hearken back to the version of let's give him something to talk about by Bonnie Raitt that she did um, with Daryl Hall. Yeah. Daryl Hall. Yeah. It was, it was on his, his show what, live at Daryl's house. Yeah. Live at Daryl's yeah. house. Um, and she sang it perfectly, really soulful voice. And it also made me think, I was like, well, you know, that's kind of a popular thing really in the UK, like, you know, soul singers, especially, you know, white British soul singers. Um, and it just kind of made me think, I was like, all right, well, like, is that really, you know, you, you have these two styles of music, one country music, one blues, which are like an unapologetically American. I'm going to say that because both are like, both are born from... I mean, both are really born from gospel and blues, but both are born from the struggles that Americans faced when the music came about, the blues and country music. So they're unapologetically American, both being sung by, um, you know, Katie Tunstall, thick British accent, Keith Urban, thick Australian accent. And it made me wonder, it's like, you know, would we, would you consider that some sort of cultural appropriation? And then we started talking about other, you know, artists that have done it. You brought up Pat Boone. Um, I brought up Elvis Presley. 
And then, like, you know, what do we feel the definition? Because I know there's the literal, like, Webster's Dictionary version of appropriation, definition of appropriation, where it's like, you know, basically taking another culture and making it your own. And then if, you know, you think about it in terms of music, doing that and making money off of it. But then it also, like, you look at America as, as a, I, I think you said America's a melting pot. So you're going to have people who are, who are going to be inspired by different things. You know, like, I mean... I'm pretty sure 56 years ago, you probably would have never thought you'd have someone like a Darius Rucker who came up singing, you know, who didn't come up singing R&B music, even though he clearly has a deep kind of gospel type voice. Yeah. Um, and then you also have, you know, but he grew up in South Carolina and maybe that's what he grew up on. And then you have someone like Eminem who came up, you know, in Detroit coming up on hip hop music, you know, and he cited his, he cited the people that, you know, that he liked when he was growing up. But then you also have someone like an Iggy Azalea, which is, I feel like, going to be brought up a lot in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you have someone like Iggy Azalea who you're not really sure who her influences are. You're not really sure if she has any interest beyond just the songs that she raps on. Um, and and that's kind of where we kind of came to this, like, it'd be interesting to talk about this and just kind of really, you know, what do we feel appropriation is? Where do we feel it's happening? Does it bother us? Do, you know, all, all of these different things. Because, I mean, if rapping makes Iggy Azalea happy, that's cool. But she seems so gimmicky to me. Like, everything about Iggy Azalea. And then to find out that she doesn't even write her own stuff. Yeah. Like, to me, <clears throat> that's like the equivalent of a Mari Star-made rapper. Yeah. And just get some cute chick, blonde. You know, she's blonde. She has an accent, so she's exotic. But she's going to rap like T.I. And we're going to write everything for her. That's That's like... That's like new chick on the block, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> like, that's what that sounds like to me. Like, no, this wasn't because you came up on eight mile, you know? So, yeah. I think what's interesting about that topic, um, the the first thing I thought of when, when we first uh, uh, discussed it was um, I just seen a video on Katy Perry. Yeah. And as far as her being accused of ripping off uh, other artists' looks or cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. uh, people go to our uh, Facebook page. You see the cover. The cover photo is Katy Perry from the Dark Horse video mm -hmm. in which she's dressed oh, yeah. like uh, an Egyptian the queen. Cleopatra, basically. The Cleopatra. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we know Elizabeth Taylor played Cleopatra, but is Cleopatra <laughs> white? No, uh, probably not. She's she's high. Well, I guess high. <laughs> but she's is she Egyptian. even high yellow? Probably not. Who knows? <laughs> um, you know, obviously, like there's a a Paul Mooney special called um, "Know Your History." Yeah, Jesus was black, and yeah. so was Cleopatra. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that title. Um, but she plays uh, she plays an Egyptian queen or a Cleopatra type, um, and she's got. Um, jewels in her mouth and mm -hmm. it's um, you know she was accused of cultural appropriation uh, in that regard and then another video I'm not sure what song it was but she has um, uh, she has her hair braided in a way similar to um, an artist named FKA Twigs oh, okay. and she was accused of stealing that look um, 
It's a swagger jack and a swagger. Because <laughs> now I feel like, I mean, we said, or at least I said, she. I feel like she's kind of stealing the, Myris, the Miley Cyrus look. Yeah, and like, now, now she yeah. looks like how Miley Cyrus used to look. Mm-hmm. Like, two years ago. Yeah, when uh, We Can't Stop came out. And yeah. And 23 and all that stuff. So, um, it's so, I mean, it's an interesting topic to look at. It's, you know, like, when when is it appropriation? And I guess just to get it out of the way, I said before we started filming, when I feel that it's a gimmick, that's when I feel that it's appropriation. Like, I'm not going to, if, like, you really grew up listening to rap music, if you really grew up listening to, you know, to country music or whatever genre of music you sing, and maybe you're not from the right place or you're not the right color, but if that's what you grew up on and that's what inspires you, and that's then that's, you know... Because for me, it was like, you know, if Keith Urban grew up listening to country music and he started singing, he's probably going to have a country voice. Just like you can still have, you could, like um, David Ryan Harris. Um, some of y'all don't know him if you don't, go check him out. But when he sung in the Brand New Immortals, he didn't sing with a rock voice. He sung with his regular voice because, yeah, he liked rock music, but he probably grew up singing. I think he said his biggest influences were people like Donnie Hathaway. Yeah. You grew up listening to Donnie Hathaway, you're going to have a smooth R&B voice. Um, they just found a way to make it work with rock music. So if you grew up listening to it and those are your influences, that's how you're going to sing. And that's typically how it goes. You can usually cite someone's influences by the way they perform and the way in which they sing. And so that's kind of how I say it. Like if that's something that you grew up doing, I don't consider that. Or even if it is appropriation, it's not something that I would be like, uh, that's tasteless versus someone who is doing it. And it's clearly just because it's the hot thing at the time. Um, I think that part of it is like trying to, um, some people may do some of the, uh, actions or some of the things that you see in, in videos or movies or mm-hmm. whatever to appeal to a, a certain group mm-hmm. or pay tribute, you yeah. know, um, I see it more from, um, if you look at, um, if you look at look at with, with sports, like with sports teams, teams that are named after like Native Americans, mm-hmm. um, to particularly the the Indians. Yeah, I mean, remembers I think it was last year or the year before, wherever Mike Jones is on TV with his yeah. Caucasians T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, I would still wear one today if I can get <laughs> one. Um, but the idea of the the Chief Wahoo character which can be, which is seen as offensive Mm -hmm. as by a lot of people, but the people who defended say we're, we're playing tribute to, um, the native Americans. And to take it even one step further and shout out to Josh, cause I didn't even get this. They're wearing religious garbs. (laughs) So even if you don't want to, even if you want to be like, Oh, you know, this is, um, Oh, we're not being racist. Well, you're disrespecting their religion. Like imagine if somebody came out and was like, "Oh man, we're the, um, we're the Caucasians," and they dressed in like traditional like Catholic garb. You'd probably be offended if they came out there in like a priest robe and was like, "Yes, we're gonna, we're gonna bludgeon the other team," and you started like molesting boys. <laughs> like, <you'd... laughs> too far. But I'm just saying, like you know, you'd probably be offended. Like you're out there, and you know, not only are you you kind of disrespecting the race. You're in religious garb. Like that's what the headdresses mean. Like that is for religious ceremonies. Take it off. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say like that would really apply to like a team name, like the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Like if you came out in Celtic, like, cause I don't know how, how do they dress up there? 
Are they paint their bodies green? But if well, the well with the Celtics logo, it's a it's an Irish guy, yeah, I guess. Shamrock, wearing, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it also applies to the Notre Dame fighting Irish, mm-hmm. but if they, which look, could also be seen as offensive. But if so, yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that. Fighting like they they just think, I, oh, Irish people just be fighting all they time. Just be drunk and fighting. <laughs> Are we just ready to fight? <laughs> As they get ready to fight. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, someone, you know, for Notre Dame coming out there in like, in like traditional religious garb and like, you know, hanging their opponents in an effigy. Like, you'd probably be like, whoa, buddy, that's a bit much. <laughs> um, I can never look at that the same, Greg. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And so, yeah. but yeah, so for me, like, you know, gimmicks, like, I feel like, you know, she's, she's gimmicky. We said, we felt Vanilla Ice is kind of gimmicky. The story that he makes up for, for Ice Ice Baby. Yeah. Okay, guys. Pay it. Okay. Let me pull up the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby. Cause a lot of people just like hear it and you know the part. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Mm-hmm. Ice is Brack with a brand new invention. No, this, no, you ain't doing anything new. <laughs> sign. New. Yeah. And you're not even doing it as well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, it talk. You know, the first verse is more about, or the well, yeah, the first verse is about how good he is as a rapper, mm-hmm. which is what most rap yeah, is. Yeah. I'm I'm good with words, and and this is how. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, the second verse, um, uh, okay, there's part that says, um. As he he's driving he's driving down basically the second verse is he's driving down the street uh, in his five point um, he sees some girls or whatever and then he turns on so you hear the so, yo so I continue to a one a beach foot I never paid attention to the lyrics in the second verse either. Uh, Rockman lovers driving Lamborghini, jealous because I'm out getting mine. So some people, so he saw some some haters, mm-hmm. right? And um, Shay with the gauge and Vanilla with the nine. So his friend had a, a shotgun, and he had and a he nine, had a nine nine millimeter. Yeah. Um, the chumps are acting ill because they're so full of eight balls. So they see some some guys who are snoring cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Or selling it at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then they heard some gun gunshots ringed out like a bell. I grabbed my nine. All I heard were shells. I don't believe any of this. <laughs> uh, fall on the concrete real fast. Jumped in my car, slammed on the gas. Um, so basically he heard some shots. He grabbed his gun. He ran back to the car, but bumper to bumper, the avenues packed. So now he's in traffic. <laughs> So now he's trying to get away before he gets robbed. Um, but then police come. They don't bother him. I wonder why. Oh, stop. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't bother him. Because they went up to the dope fiends. Even though, as he has told us, he had the guns. So he, Yeah. Oh, God, that's funny. So if you think about it. Get my my uh, <laughs> my conspiracy brother Joe. Oh God! If you think about it, Ice Ice Baby is a celebration 
it's Vanilla Ice celebrating his white privilege. And the fact that the cops don't bother me. (laughs) (laughs) You got to open up your eyes and your ears, my brother. They got nothing for me. (laughs) I'm just another white man caught up in the mix. I'm not going to do that to Shock G. If I ruin the song for you, I hope so. (laughs) I hope I ruin Ice Ice Baby for you. I listen to the metal version now at this point. It's the same lyrics. He came hard. He leaves out certain lyrics, though. Like, he cuts the verses in half. Yeah. Same concept. Because that was... Because then, what he was was just... He just went from appropriating rap to appropriating metal. (laughs) He was like, oh, corn's big at this time? Okay, cool. Let's do this. Let's do this. (laughs) Oh, so... (laughs) We'll make it sound like corn. The new metal. (laughs) He doesn't care who he... What he takes. He'll just take anything. But then he goes... (laughs) Then the third verse, he goes back to how good a rapper he is. Like, come on, man. Like, Ice Ice Baby is is fragment is a fragmented yeah. exercise in white privilege. And this is why this is why MC that's, Search that's came after right you. This is yeah. why Search because like, and he so he's someone who um, I didn't see it as a gimmick. Like nothing about MC Search came off as gimmicky. Nothing about Eminem comes off as gimmicky. Um, hell, I'll even say nothing about Everlast came off as gimmicky. Um, don't believe me? Go watch, because I know some people are like, oh, Everlast, you know, the guy that did, you know, what it's like. Go back and watch House of Pain's Jump Around. Um, he was, well, I guess you could say unapologetically Irish um, in that video. I don't know. I mean, is is, is hip-hop big in, in Boston? Because they also gave us Marky Mark, so. <laughs> Which, that felt like a gimmick. <clears throat> um, well, hip hop is hip hop in Boston. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of because those are only two Boston of, rappers I know. <laughs> well, yeah. There's um, you had uh, House of Pain, New Kids on the Block. They rapped a little well. So Donnie, new addition too. Yeah, new addition. They they rapped a little. So they were into it. Yeah. But as far as like, um. I think at the time with those acts, if you're looking at those acts, then there it was just a lot of people as far as rappers go, really the only places being paid attention to were LA and New York. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was hard at that time, I think to break through if you weren't from those places. And then all of a sudden it's just, you know, this really buff cut dude out of Boston <laughs> <laughs> comes with those good vibrations. Um, no, nah, that's, that's fun. considering he beat up, uh, um, someone for being Asian like that's I don't know that's a little weird but whatever getting off topic there um so like one person though that really comes to mind of course like I mentioned is Elvis um Elvis is probably if you look at it one of the more famous appropriators um from Tupelo Mississippi which I mean I I don't I've been I've been to Mississippi it's a lot of I won't say poverty but Mississippi is kind of like a different place if you will. I don't know if you've ever been, but Mississippi is like a different place. I've you have, been there. Okay. I got family there. Okay. Yeah. Tupelo, um, in, in particular is where he's from. Um, and like he's, he grew up admiring a lot of black, a lot of black performers. Um, one of his first big hits, that's all right. Was done by, uh, blues musicians, blues musician, Arthur Crudup, um, uh, when it was played. And it's honestly, it would have been interesting to hear this back then because when it was played, um, people called into the radio station, assuming it was a black artist. So something that Elvis Presley did at that time 
made people think that he was black. So the version that I played earlier, that's not it? No, that was that was it. That was the version? Yeah. But just, I mean, like, I imagine back in whatever year, I think it was like 1950, whatever, you know, probably can't tell the difference. I don't, I don't know. Um, cause I don't, I don't see him as a, I don't see him as a Pat Boone. Whereas Pat Boone, you can definitely tell the difference. Let's oh. see if it's this recording. Well, that's all right, mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, mama. Just anyway. This is That's All Right by mm-hmm. Elvis. That's all right. That's all right, mama. Anyway, dude. Do you have the Arthur Credit version? Well, mama, she done told me. Papa done told me, too. Son, that guy you fooling with, she ain't no good to you, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, mama. Anyway, dude. All right, this is the, that was the Elvis version. This is the um, Arthur Credit version. Recording obviously not as good. Black artists didn't have the access back then. doing that a lot of through the years a lot of he, he was saying a lot of times um he really he admired african-american performers um borrowed a lot of you know admittedly borrowed a lot of their performance techniques singing techniques um i think i mentioned to you back in the day like it not back in the day last week when we talked about this topic first i was like he probably grew up around a lot of black people um I'm at like living in the South. You're going to come into contact with a lot of people. He didn't grow up rich. So he was poor. He drove trucks. Um, so it's like, to me, it didn't seem like it was, he didn't, he wasn't coming from the same place a Pat Boone was coming from. If that makes sense. Like Pat Boone was like, saw this as a way to, Hey, these are some really good songs. I can take these and make money off of them. Whereas Elvis is like, I, I love these songs. I want to perform these songs. Because typically he was performing them. Granted, you can tell a difference. Elvis is performing them closer to how the original artist performed yeah. them, which to me shows tribute. Well, in this, um, according to his biography, uh, he when he I guess when he went into sixth grade, his family was living in a largely black neighborhood. Yeah. And um, a friend, uh, got well, a classmate would take him to a radio station of uh, uh, Mississippi Slim. I'm trying to see who that is. I've never heard of that Mississippi Slim. But he was a, a radio host and a singer in in Tupelo. Um and he was one of Elvis's first heroes, I guess yeah. you could say. So and the way and I guess that's another point to bring up <clears throat> The way in which you treat the music, the way, the way in which you treat the music and the people that do the music really can kind of speak volumes to whether you're coming from a place of of purely being about money 
or if you're, you know, coming from a place of just, you know, I want to, I, I like and respect this music and want to pay tribute to the people and the songs. It, it's kind of interesting to where in that, in that regard, like we could say that like Elvis is kind of like the, like you said, he's like the, the, if cultural appropriation had a logo, it's Elvis. <laughs> it would yeah. be Elvis. It would be Elvis. Um, but I think from him, you know, I think he wanted to, um, he wanted to, he was paying tribute mm -hmm. to the music. Um, even though it wasn't there some, I don't know if you just said it, but there was something that he said that, okay, maybe it is about the money. Like, um, Oh, well, that was, it was rumored that he said that, that, you know, black people aren't good for anything other than buying his records and shining his shoes. But that was, that was later de debunked. Cause I know that was, I heard, I used to hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. And that was debunked as a rumor. Um, and basically it was just kind of as, you know, more people kind of dug deeper, found different interviews. It was found that, you know, the opposite was found to be true, that he actually had a lot of respect for um, for black musicians, for black singers, for black um, performers, um, which is why when you think about it, like it, even though it sounds different because, I mean, let's face it, he's a white dude. So it's going to sound a little bit different. Um he is probably trying to do the the songs as closely as he could because he probably was like, I like the source material. I just want to perform it, which if you, and if you really go back to, um, that was a very popular thing to do in the fifties, perform other people's songs. Yeah. Whether you were black or white, you would perform other people's songs. Um, that's so, how we get Pat Boone. Yeah. That's how we get <laughs> Pat Boone who has made a career off of it. <laughs> Um, and so like, but, and I guess like to look at someone like Pat Boone and I'm trying to think of other artists like Pat Boone. And I, I was joking before we started recording, I called him a tragic hero. <laughs> <laughs> like Pat Boone, you know, he loves this music, but like he can't, that's the only way he can sing. <laughs> and he doesn't want to do the like, Pat, why don't you, why don't you sing some Bobby Darren or Sinatra? He's like, I don't want to do that. That, that music's boring. It's like, I want to do some James Brown. It's like, well, you, you can't sing James Brown, man. You don't have that voice. I don't care. I'm going to sing it anyway. And that's how you get Pat Boone. Or maybe he was just trying to make a buck. Um, uh, <laughs> well, with Pat Boone, <laughs> um, he began recording in the fifties and he has a, he did a, he did a, his, he has a version of ain't that a shame by Fats Domino. Oh boy. <laughs> And his early career was focused on covering R&B songs by black artists so white people would buy them. Mm -hmm. uh, but with uh, during this time, the the uh, the artist who wrote the song, if you covered his song, he wouldn't make any money. Yeah. So. Um, this and, uh, you know, this was something that. Um, that basically he built his career on. I mean, it was kind of at the beginning, but he basically um, built his career on doing this. Um, and I'm he, glad the industry caught up to making sure that the original artists got compensated. Dark times back then. Um, and made it even worse because, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure, you know, Pat Boone's not giving, back then was not giving credit to the original artists like you would, you know, more than likely have to do today. Um, so it was just kind of trouble all around, really. Um, he, uh, you know, also he also did songs by Little Richard, mm -hmm. um, uh, Ivory Joe Hunter, 
the Flamingos, Charles Singleton, um, and um, yeah, I mean there were. Yeah. I mean he be he. I think as far as him being a symbol of culture appropriation, mm -hmm. or his career being built on the on the being built on the backs of the work of black artists. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think he, I don't know if he gets his fair share of criticism. No, Cause he's not as famous. He's not, he's just not, I mean like Elvis is known as the King. Um, and even after, cause I mean, you even have like the different phases of Elvis's career. Um, cause after he, you know, he, he moved on basically, he kind of developed into, um, you know, the other types of songs that he was doing, but he always, I mean, he always kind of remained like, you know, blues, rock, and which really, I, I always felt he was more rock, blues than rock. That's another thing. Um, but like, he moved on from doing those sorts of things and kind of became larger than life, whereas Pat Boone is Pat Boone. I mean, he just, you know, he, he never really went beyond that. And so you don't get, because I mean, honestly, like if you listen to Pat Boone, it's it's almost funny. It's just like, you know, the songs are clearly are clearly done in a way to appease middle America. They're safe. A lot of the, the syncopation is gone. A lot of the, like, it's just, it's very digestible, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can look at, um, I, I don't know if we, if I mentioned this in the recording, but I may have talked to you about it in the movie dream girls. Yeah. Where CC writes Cadillac car. Mm hmm. And then they hear the song on an American bandstand sounding show. Yeah. I'm going to see if I could find if it's on the, um, if okay. they're, if it's on the soundtrack, yeah. but I mean, that was a, yeah, it was just what it was. I mean, it just came out that way. Um, mm -hmm. this might be the regular version of Cadillac car. Yeah. I need to go back and watch that movie. It's been a minute since I've seen it. Do they have the the other version or no? No, I'm trying to find it. I'll see if there's a clip on a clip of it on YouTube. Okay. So yeah, it's a thin it's a thin line though. You know when you think about it. So I searched Cadillac car and one of the uh, options as far as a, a result was Cadillac car white version. <laughs> so we'll play the uh, the other version here. It's it's really short, but um, let's see. This is a very extreme version of it, but yeah, this is. Isn't it? Yeah, an extreme example. But hey, it happened. Yeah. Got me a Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. Oh, I've got me a Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. They're even slow dancing off beat. <laughs> And I think another thing as well, a comparison you can, or just a, another kind of thing you can look at, 
between Pat Boone and Elvis Presley and why maybe Pat Boone doesn't get his fair share. Elvis was more controversial. So Elvis, of, of course, he's out there doing, he's doing, you know, songs by black artists. He's performing them more in the style that they would perform them. And on top of that, he's performing them live more so in the way they perform them by dancing, by shaking his hips, by being provocative. Um, and that riles up parents. You know, it's like, why are you, you know, why are you being sexual? They're covering their kid's eyes. Cause it's, you think about it, which is, which sounds just like, you know, really stupid. It sounds ridiculous like, today. Like, yeah. Like he shook his <laughs> hips. Oh, like they had to show him from the waist up on TV because he was shaking his hips. So it's like, you know, if, if you look at it, like he, he really stayed truer versus Pat Boone. I'm sure Pat Boone wasn't on stage shaking his hips. And being like, yeah, you know, so he was snapping his fingers yeah, at most, at most, <laughs> and that's if he was really feeling it, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you're, you're looking at, you know, and it's like, you know, which, I, and, and I don't know, like, and that's kind of the question, you know, like, which is worse, you know, is it the person who tries to be more true to the music, or is it the person who is who is like clearly trying to make this palatable to middle middle America? which is honestly just code for white America. Let's just be real. But like, you know, they're trying to make it palatable for that cross section of middle America, maybe the Bible belt, so to speak. You're well, trying to make it. Well, which do you think it is? I don't know. Cause I mean, like, you know, it's like, you know, you have, you have this artist who, as you stated, and I didn't even know that, that he grew, he lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, probably had a lot of black friends, he drove trucks. He was from Mississippi. Um, loved black music, it seems. Whereas, like, you know, Pat Boone, I mean, all jokes aside, with the Tragic Hero type thing, was probably just like, these are good songs. I'm going to slow them down, make them a little bit better, make them easier for middle America, the Bible Belt, to listen to. And honestly, I don't, I mean, I don't know, because as someone who who has played in a cover band, when you when you cover a song... Um, you can take two different types of extremes. You can either play it note for note exact, you know, or you can put your own twist on it, which has become a lot more popular nowadays. Um, and it's like both feel right to me, but it's more so when you're making it your own, you're taking a completely different genre in doing that. He was taking, you know, he was, he was doing this in the same genre. So I, I don't know. Like that's, it's still, it's still kind of a tough question for me to answer. Um, I kind of lean towards more. I mean, it's kind of, well, I mean, it'll be hard to know like what the artist is thinking at that yeah, time. But yeah. <laughs> um, and like Elvis may have been like, Oh, I want to be true to the music mm -hmm. uh, because you know, it's what I, what I'm inspired by. It's what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. I think to manipulate it. Mm -hmm. So that it could be palatable to people who would not listen to it. Exactly, otherwise. Yeah. Uh, for profit. Yeah. <laughs> It's worse. <laughs> I, that sounds worse to me. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, especially at the, you know, the time where, you know, when this is working out for Pat, when it, um, yeah, it's tough to say Pat, but you know, it's, it's not like that. Choking the words. <laughs> it's not like that. But for Pat Boone to, for his career to be established in that way, mm -hmm. like that, that was, that was the it was point. a money grab basically. I, mean, I see what you mean. It was, it was a, it, you know, like, yeah, let's take that song. Yeah, that's a good song. Let's take that one. Mm -hmm. That's a mm -hmm. good song. Let's take that one. Um, I'm going to see if I could find the clip from the Little Richard. 
uh, mini series, yeah. or it might just been a TV. It might have been just a one, a one part thing. And I remember too once I was watching a tribute to Elvis, and they had Chris Brown, and they had him performing Jailhouse Rock, and so like he's like you know, he they had him on stage kind of recreate the famous scene from Jailhouse Rock where Elvis comes down in in the prison garb down the stairs. And it was like, Chris Brown was like, you could tell, like from learning these dance moves, he hung out around a lot of black people. You could tell um, that he hung out with, the, he said to quote him, he said, you could tell Elvis was hanging out with brothers, like <laughs> doing, doing those dances. Um, and well, it just makes I mean, you wonder, it, like, would he have an entourage today? I'm not sure where I heard it, but uh, like Elvis brought the Chitlin circuit mm-hmm. to television. Yeah. Black backup singers. <laughs> Totally normal thing. Uh, here's here's the clip from um, the Little Richard story, um, starring Leon as Little Richard, mm-hmm. who I feel like he is like perpetually in. He is perpetually a '60s R&B singer. <laughs> he could be could pull off that look all day. Uh, but here's the uh, segment. Come on, Long Tall Sally, take one. Gonna tell and Mary Bonnie John. He claimed and Miss Buddy having a lot of fun, oh baby. Hi. Come on, Richard. Pat Boone can sing it that slow. Okay? Let's go again. Wow. Gonna tell and Mary Bonnie John. He says he has the blues, but he has a lot of fun, oh baby. Who's the guy playing Pat Boone? I have no idea. John with long tall Sally. He saw Mary coming and he ducked back in the alley. Oh, baby. Yes, baby. Woo, baby. Having me some fun tonight. Yeah. Well, I saw Uncle John with Bowie and Sally. He saw Mary coming and he ducked back in the alley. Oh, baby. Yes, baby. Woo, baby. Having me some fun tonight. Yeah. And to explain the clip there, it's basically showing both of them, you know, singing it, Pat Boone struggling <laughs> to keep up. <laughs> and the people, the funniest part to me were the engineers in the booth with, with Pat Boone. They're like clapping. They're like faster, faster. Cla- <laughs> clapping on one and three. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get him to speed up the tempo. And Pat Boone just looks so uncomfortable. And he just takes the headphones off in frustration. Um, and it's more than likely that Little Richard's like, man, I'm sick of this dude singing my songs. Um, and and getting them popular, which nowadays I feel like could get you beat up, but um, and so really and so to look at it, you know, and almost like a modern day, um, like someone like I'm trying to think, who would you think is somebody modern day outside of Iggy Azalea? Because I feel like we've beat her to death. <laughs> that because um, I mean, I've I've heard some people maybe say like you know Justin Bieber, but then again Justin Bieber was also discovered by Usher on YouTube singing Usher songs. So it's like you know. Is he like? Is this music that he grew up with? Like, who would you think is someone modern day? Um, 
that appears to appropriate. Yeah, like is is doing it almost as a cash grab. Like, oh, this was popular. Let's try it. Um, man, I, I mean, it's not. I started thinking of somebody like who was at the the Pat Boone Elvis level. Yeah, I mean, maybe consider you can consider Justin Bieber um, Ooh, as he yeah. got older yeah. because of um, his songs. Like, I forget the name of the album. I think it was like Journals. I, I think it, the Justin Bieber one, the Justin Bieber yeah. album Journals. It was so. It was a straight R and B. It was a straight R and B. And Rappers nobody and talks about it. <laughs> Did a song with R. Kelly. Like it was. Nobody yeah. talks about that album. Um, I think because of his racial ambiguity, mm-hmm. uh, Bruno Mars. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Possibly. Um, he is Latino. I think he's I from Hawaii. Where, okay. I don't know what he is. I mean, his real name is like Pete Hernandez or something yeah, like that. It's, so, he has a Spanish lad. He has a Spanish name. But people think like maybe he's stealing, he's ripping off black music. Yeah. You know, he's trying to be Prince or mm-hmm. or Zap and Roger or whatever. And then <laughs> so, and then even to go further with Uptown Funk, um, of course, with with the lawsuits they that came about with various um, electron electro funk songs from the eighties that they kind of ripped, literally ripped off. Um, like you look at an artist like Mark Ronson, yeah, who's a DJ who grew up on like he cited a lot of. 80s funk um like if uh, his version of just by radiohead stands out to me because he did that well, listen like to a, his his cover. his like, album versions yeah um it's all funk covers like funk style covers well yeah uh you know he did a but he would he would do it with other songs like he has a like a his his backing band or the backing band was the dap tones okay yeah and they have a version of um the Coldplay song "God Put a Smile on Your Face." Yeah, oh, nice. they did it like a like a funk song from the sixties or seventies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Radiohead song too, and it's it's interesting. Of course, he's British, <laughs> so <laughs> just to further you talk about the British obsession with American soul and stuff yeah. like and blues, and that that goes back before Mark, Mark Roth. You go back to basically go back to the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles and, and the Rolling Stones, um, heavily like influenced that, yeah. by American blues. Mm-hmm. And we mean Robert Johnson, we mean uh, Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. uh, Fats Domino, mm-hmm. um, the Motown, any everybody at yeah. Motown, pretty yeah. much. I mean, hell, like John Lennon when he <laughs> Muddy, went solo. Muddy Waters and Sun House yeah. and Howling Wolf, and you know, watch Cadillac Records. Those artists influence British, um, British, rock British, British rock, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah, I mean, they came out when the levees break, I, I mean, and that's the thing, like. It, I think one hard thing is to find out for a lot of, um, and not anymore, but for a lot of fans of those bands, you know, fans of the Rolling Stones, fans of Led Zeppelin, you find out that a lot of their early stuff were just blues covers. Like, I love the song with the levees break. That was a cover. That's a blues cover. Um, they, I mean, they, they rocked it up a little bit. And I think Led Zeppelin is a little bit guiltier of it. The Rolling Stones, I think, stayed more truer. So I guess if you were comparing, loose comparison... Rolling Stones are more like an Elvis. Led Zeppelin was more like a Pat Boone. Like, whereas, I mean, there were still blues elements to it, but they made it more palatable for a white, not a white audience, but for like a rock audience, so to speak. Um, whereas the Rolling Stones were like, they were blues. Like, they they, they didn't deal with that other crap. Um, of course, both bands progressed in their career to where they were other things by the end of it. But like, at the beginning, like, you know, that's I felt like that's how it kind of was. 
Led Zeppelin was more like, uh, we're going to take these blues classics and kind of retool them for a rock audience. Rolling Stones are like, we're just going to play these blues songs and we're just going to play them like they are. Um, just to, you know, as, as comparisons, which I guess they were what, maybe like 20 years later, almost, because they started coming around the 60s, 70s. So, yeah. Um, what also that brings up as far as the UK as the, well, I mean, it's happened in America too. As far as like the term, the term blue eyed soul, Mm -hmm. I guess today, if you, you're thinking of artists who perform blue eyed soul, then you're looking probably more specifically at Adele, Sam Smith, uh, Josh Stone, Mm -hmm. um, probably mostly British artists. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, they're all British that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it probably more applies there. But before that, in America, there were certain artists who were um, who you would consider blue-eyed soul. And in some cases, whoever was behind the marketing and promotion took mm-hmm. advantage of that. Yeah. One example of that in particular is Bobby Caldwell. Yeah. Did not know did not know was so shocked <laughs> so shocked dude can sing <laughs> like it it was like all the way he was kept a mystery mm-hmm. uh look at the album covers it's just a you know some ch- shadow drawing of a guy yeah. in a hat mm-hmm. you don't see his face you have no clue <laughs> <laughs> and for the longest time i think um i got you know uh found out very very recently that Bobby Caldwell yeah. was white. It was probably like two years ago. I was watching something on YouTube and I was like, I thought I had the wrong video. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't like, I didn't know who sang the songs for the longest time. I mm-hmm. thought it was like, I thought it was like Bill Withers or something. Yeah. <laughs> or George Benson. I thought they, he was singing those songs. Yeah. Um, I felt like yeah. they did not try to hide it with Michael McDonald, who has a very deep, soulful voice. Um, completely changed the sound of the Doobie Brothers and then when he went solo started singing on R&B records yeah. like the, the likes of um, what Patti LaBelle and, and James Ingram <laughs> yeah and James Ingram so and then he's able to have uh, more success with doing the Motown covers mm-hmm. and I feel like he had two distinct um, parts of his career because his Doobie Brothers fans and his solo fans, I don't think they overlap. <laughs> like, I don't think the same people listening to Taking It to the Streets are listening to I Keep Forgetting. Like, they're just not. Um, and I think that's very, he's he's very interesting in that aspect. And he doesn't, but he's never shied away from either part of his career. Like, he still performs Doobie Brothers songs. He still does his original, his, his solo stuff. Um, and ironically, they kind of sound the same, but the fans are still different. Like, it, it's just, it's, you know... Like, even if you listen to Minute by Minute, like, that could have been the solo record. Yeah. But, like, how many people who listen to Keep Forgetting know if they have heard Minute by Minute? Not many, probably, you know? Um, you could also look at, I think at that time, it, like, you could, you would notice it in the music. But as far as, like, later on when music videos became important, mm-hmm. you look at certain um, certain artists and how they sing and how they become famous okay like look at britney spears as a pop singer yeah okay um and then christina aguilera yeah uh as a pop singer or is is a pop singer but 
uh, if you just hear her voice and you've never seen her face, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that also applies to a, uh, an artist, uh, another singer I know of named Anastasia. Yeah. Oh, I forgot uh, about Anastasia. Yeah. Um, and possibly Amy Winehouse. You might might be able to put Amy Winehouse in that category. Also British. Also, who, also British. <laughs> to me, had more of a um, older soul sound. You know, she was she's she was more of like the '60s and '70s throwback, really, um, and even came across in her music, like the not just her voice but the style of music, a lot like you know, back to black, horn section. You know, heavy. It, it it sounded like a Motown song. So, British man, like maybe it's just the British <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> they just love old soul music. Like it's just it's just what they do, you know. And they do it well, you know. Um. So I think overall in this, um, in this era, I think, uh, I think like back then. Mm-hmm looking back at it, like from here, looking back then, yeah. okay, you could tell, yeah. uh, what was, you know, what, what people are trying to take advantage of here. Yeah. I think now, because I guess people are supposed to be more open-minded, mm-hmm. um, uh, and have more of an acceptance of what is and what isn't part of someone's culture. I know like, um, as far as other aspects as far as like the image or um, looking at sports teams, as previously mentioned, you know, their, their aspects are still there. Yeah. You know, anybody who dresses up uh, in native American uh, headdress or, you know, any of their religious garbs, which mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they are. Mm-hmm. And you are not native American. Like that is, it's disrespectful. Yeah. Like how how is it not? Oh, you're paying tribute. Do you oh, do you know any? Do you even know mm-hmm. any name? <laughs> well, Art Anderson brings up the documentary in whose honor? Like you're honoring people and they don't feel honored. Yeah. So, in that sense, maybe you're not honoring them if they don't. I mean, you could look like we mentioned, like with some like the Celtics or the mm-hmm. Minnesota Vikings. Is mm-hmm. is there a, a heavy population of people of Scandinavian descent in Minneapolis? Probably possibly. Not. <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. You think so? Well, I guess it is north. Yeah. Maybe. It's possible. Right next to Canada. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so it's not it does it's not seen as offensive though. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um but with native with Native Americans, you know, you're and you're making these caricatures. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't see the Vikings logo as a caricature. Like yeah, it's just a hey, horn. <laughs> this is what a Viking looked like. So if it's just like, a, if it's a <laughs> his Scandinavian his helmet looked like this, Scandinavian person, blonde hair, just drinking beer, like incessantly. I'm talking about the regular Vikings logo. <laughs> so I'm saying like that's what it, like that's what it, I could imagine that though. It's just like some guy just throwing back beers and like, hey, what's that? Like it's just, <laughs> and they just have some dude, some big burly blonde hair dude, just dressed up at the games, and all he does is drink for the whole game. <laughs> First down. I don't. I don't think <laughs> he, he's not officially an employee of the team. They just know he's going to be there. He's going to drink. <laughs> um, so I would just want people to like be more aware of these yeah. kinds of things because you want to treat everybody. I would want to treat everybody with 
the respect mm-hmm. that they deserve and what their culture deserves. Um, and you don't necessarily have to play, you don't have to pay tribute, especially like, well, image wise, you don't have to do no. that. Well, I mean, I think that's probably why, and I don't know about the Warriors past, but I mean, if you think about it, like for a while, the Warriors, um, like mascot was just that dude on the, or at least on the, um, on their logo faceless. It's just an outline of a person. And ain't nobody can't nobody get offended by that. like oh we're the warriors and what do you represent oh faceless people like just the, like, and what's your it was like some weird superhero look at it like yeah. it was like part cyclops part yeah, it was very weird. spider-man yeah and, and then the person who actually dressed up looked even weirder um and now it's just a bridge so it's like yeah so i mean there's ways around it um i don't know it's just but some that you can't, I like the Chiefs, the Indians, the Redskins. Some of those are just, you can't really get around those. Like, that's just straight there. Um, I still, like, and I, I feel like this is kind of getting off, but how is the Redskins still a thing? Like, I, I that shocks me that that's still, like, in 2017. <laughs> the owner has been a lifelong fan of mm-hmm. the team. He refuses to change the name. Dan Snyder, right? That's his yeah. name, yeah. And I don't think the NFL has really said anything about yeah. making them change the name. Everyone else around, like players have said it. Other owners may say it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other celebrities or whatever say it. Until, but with, if you have a guy who's been a lifelong fan of the team yeah. and now he owns the team, why would he change that? Yeah. He's like, I like it too it's much. It's part of who he is, basically. At this point, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> so, but to bring it back around to, to, to what even brought the question up initially, do you think Keith Urban's appropriating? <laughs> like, it's curious. I don't, I mean, and it's, and you've also, and you, um, I made the note of like, like rock singers in the Philippines. Yeah. As well, the, yeah. You know, the side like, a who covers Steve Perry and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Like it's just, to me, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's like, you know, Keith Urban. Is he a pro? Well, he, I think it, it could be considered in the same category as like British singers with R&B. This is an Australian singer doing country. I mean, Iggy mm-hmm. Azalea is Australian and she's doing, she's a rapper. But hers, her, her doing it, I guess like Keith Urban. She seems, seems like more, a cartoon. Yeah. Keith Urban uh, seems yeah. more respectful to the music. He's like, you know, I love, like he's a really good guitar player. He's a good writer. He's a good singer. Iggy Azalea doesn't write anything. She's just, you know, she's just this, you know. We don't know that. Hey, that's what the, that's what the rumors <laughs> say. But like, you know, she's just this thick chick from the from the New Zealand from New Zealand that you know um, they put in a dress and here's the lyric sheet, like, and then they brought in someone to teach her how to you know to rap like someone like which is probably Di. Yeah, you know, she's not rapping. She doesn't even really rap in like Dizzy Rascal raps. You can tell he's British when he raps. Um, you can't tell that she is like, she comes off. She sounds like she's from the South. And then when she opens her mouth to talk, it's like, whoa, where, oh, what, what? Where, walk a mile in these little batons. Hello. My name is Icky Azalea. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's just, and you know what? And if, if, if that's who she is, that's who she is, but it doesn't, it feels like a money grab, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Born in New England. New Zealand. New Zealand? Okay. I thought she was Australian. Uh, well, no, I'm looking at, I said New Zealand. New, Ze- New Zealand. Um, Keith Urban, I'm just looking at their 
Um, took lessons from his teacher, began entering local competitions. Um, yeah, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, he, it seems like he kind of, he just, he liked a lot of old music, Dusty Springfield, no, Slim Dusty, excuse me, um, moved to Tennessee in 1990. Yeah, he just, I don't know. His, his doesn't seem like he was just like over in Australia, you know, putting shrimp on the Barbie. Um, and was like, Hey man, country music is blowing up. I need to find a way into that. <laughs> just like <laughs> I need to find a way to make money off of that. Like it, it, it seems a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more, um, organic, if you will. I still maintain that Iggy Azalea was, was created just like boy bands were created. Like they just, Hey, you can, can you say these words fast? <laughs> okay, well, here you go. And so, you know, you know, power to her though. T.I. made a lot of money off of her. So yeah, power to him. All right. That will, uh, that will do it for our conversation about culture appropriation. I think there might be a part two to this. I'm, I'm thinking no, something that's more things yeah. that we can expand on as far as that goes. No, I agree. It's, this is a very, it's cause it's like, it's not, you know, quote unquote black and white, no pun intended. There's, there's, with most things in life, there's going to be gray area, and it's, and we are humans, we have opinions, so there's, you know, and I mean, even if if you have a part two, it might be good to get a guest, you know, just yeah. to, to kind of, you know, offer their opinion, you know, so. All right, um, well, we'll get to my earworm of the week. Um, actually, Ben's already heard this song. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the. You said it's from the We Lit playlist. Yeah. Um. And you asked me, you said, lituation. Like, so that, make, that would be your playlist. I was going to make one and a call lituation. it like a lituation, or we've got a lituation here. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Ben has had a song as an earworm by Midnight to Monaco. My earworm is a song by Midnight oh. to Monaco. What they call themselves? New Wop? New Wop. Yeah. <laughs> New Wop. Appropriation. <laughs> oh, God. New Wop. I like this. Um, so this is uh, a song that came out last week, I believe, uh, called Rainfall, R-E-I-G, R-E-I-G-N. Um, it's a single. There's no album yet, uh, but they have uh, one, two, three, four. Okay, four singles. I need in my life to turn on the radio and hear them. I need that to happen. I need that to happen. So this is Rainfall by Midnight to Monaco, and we'll be right back. Yeah. 
<laughs> a little bit of Del Shannon right there. <laughs> so that is uh, Rainfall by Midnight to Monaco. And that is added to our BTT YHT Earworms playlist. Available right now. All right, so that's going to bring us to the end of our episode. Um, Thanks for listening with us. Yes. Definitely can join the conversation um, uh, by emailing us or, you know, commenting on our Facebook page, anything like that. Instagram, too. And Instagram. Uh, Ben, why don't you tell the people where they can find us? Do we have a a comment section, too, on the the website, too, right? Because it's set up like a blog. So you can comment there, too. Um, but you can find us um, first and foremost on the website by the time you hear this dot com, where we have the um, the websites in, the not the websites the podcast embedded, so you can play it from there, um, which I think is very useful if you're at work and you don't want to have your phone out, something like that. You can just click on it and play it, pop some headphones in, boom, you're right there. Um, also, a Google Play. You can find us on iTunes, Satchel Podcast Player. Um, you can find us on TuneIn Radio, Castbox. Many, many options to find us on Instagram. We're at by the time you hear this. Uh, well, actually, let's give you Facebook first. Uh, by the time you hear this, uh, Facebook.com slash by the time you hear this spelled with the word you. Yes. Um, on Instagram, by the time you hear this spelled with the letter you because. We're upstanding. Yes, we are upstanding. Yes. Or uplifting. Uplifting. Hopefully we uplifted you today. Um and then you can also email us, same spelling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, leave reviews on, on uh, the Google Play Store, on iTunes. Um, leave comments, like we said, on the website, because it is in a blog format, so you can comment and we'll read them. Um, hell, we might even, what, read the five star reviews on iTunes? Read them out loud. Yeah, review, them, review the show on iTunes, uh, even if you say, uh, fun, exclamation point, mm-hmm. and that's your whole comment. We'll read it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we, we would appreciate the, uh, the reviews. Yes. I would also like some context. Like, do you want us to talk about the band fun or like, well, see, that would be fun period. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I thought it was an exclamation mark. That's panic exclamation mark at the, at disc. the disco. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> so yeah, we, we'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah. All right. Um, what should we end the show with? Hmm. I wouldn't mind hearing some Jailhouse Rock. Jailhouse mm-hmm. Rock. Pull up Elvis here. I used to, I read this one book when I was younger, and I didn't understand it. I'd like to read it again, called Elvis is Back and He's in the Sixth Grade. And it's about this kid who gets electrocuted, and the spirit of Elvis comes in him. So he's able to sing like Elvis, talk like Elvis, perform like Elvis, the whole nine. And like... These people go crazy for him. There's a movie like that where a guy discovers he can sing like Billie Holiday. Mm -hmm. That's random. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's a movie like that too. But it was very interesting. That was, that was my first introduction really to Elvis because I didn't really know much about him and I read the book and they talked about all of his songs and everything and yeah. So. All right. Um, Well, that'll bring it to the end of the episode. And we're going to play some jailhouse rock. Uh, this reminds me of um, at West Georgia. For those who, who know me, I was a theater major. <laughs> and uh, we did a play, um, Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, 
but you can interpret Shakespeare in different ways. So it was modeled after a 1950s B movie and jail. Well, jailhouse rock wasn't a B movie, but yeah. the, the show we did look like a B movie. <laughs> so jailhouse rock was like played at the beginning of the show as the characters come in. So yeah, that's what this song reminds me of. Um, so yeah, jailhouse rock by Elvis Presley. Thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. Yeah, baby.